When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess what I want to say is not to pave over the goodbye and emotionally avoid it, but then also not say that it's a dead end, but rather it's just a twist and turn. That was Diana Hill on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting-edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, and co-author of Act Daily Journal. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, co-author with Debbie on Act Daily Journal and practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Psychologists Off the Clock is proud to be partnered with Praxis Continuing Education. Praxis is the premier provider of evidence-based training for mental health professionals. Praxis offers both live and on-demand courses with options for beginner as well as more advanced clinicians. Praxis is also known for its top acceptance and commitment therapy trainers. So if you're a clinician and you want to level up your ACT skills, Praxis is the place. And if you're like us at Psychologists Off the Clock and you want to transform your clients' lives by learning how to effectively promote lasting change with evidence-based training, check out Praxis Continuing Education. You can get a coupon code on the offers page of our website, offtheclockpsych.com slash sponsors. Hey folks, this is Diana. If you are a healthcare worker or clinician, I'm going to be with Praxis Continuing Education four Tuesdays in March, and I'm going to be teaching you how to take the ACT principles and apply them to your clients' daily lives. I'm also going to be at PESI at a Body Image Summit on February 25th. Hope to see you there. I'm going to be at Inside LA for the general public, where I'm going to be teaching on the Foundations of ACT on February 11th. And then you can always connect with me through my podcast, Your Life in Process. I hope that you subscribe because I'm teaching weekly there. It comes out every Monday, and you can find it at yourlifeinprocess.com. Okay, see you there. This is Debbie, and it's with bittersweet feelings today that I start this episode. This is a special one. I'm here with my dear friend and podcast partner for the last five years, Diana Hill. On the bitter side of this episode, we have been through so much together, starting Psychologists Off the Clock and this five-year journey that we've been on, that this really feels like the end of an era of Psychologists Off the Clock in a really big way. And we are sad to see Diana go. You know, there's a, a loss, a closure here. And on the sweet side, Diana, you are following your heart into some really exciting new 
ventures on your own. And those of us who are staying will be carrying on with the next chapter of Psychologists Off the Clock. We have had some changes over the years in our co-hosts. We started with our friend and colleague, Ray Littlewood. She started the podcast with us five years ago, and she left the podcast a few years back. And over the years, we've added two terrific new co-hosts, Yael Schoenbrunn, not so new anymore, and Jill Stoddard. And now, after this episode, we'll be back down to three co-hosts, and Diana will be moving in some exciting new directions with her career that we're going to be talking about, including a wonderful new podcast that she's doing on her own. So one thing that we learn about in our clinical training to be therapists is about closure and meaningful goodbyes. And it can actually be a really incredibly rich and important part of the therapeutic work. And we know that goodbyes can be really hard sometimes, and they can also be really meaningful. There's so many emotions that show up about about goodbyes and endings. And so today, Diana and I are here together to to reminisce and share some memories about the podcast and talk about this ending and, and what's ahead moving forward. So Hello, Diana. It's so good to see you. How are you feeling as we start this conversation? Gosh, that's sort of a big question, right? The how, how are you feeling question. I went on a run this morning. It's sort of a place where there's a lot of creativity and flow. We've had a lot of conversations on my runs, Debbie. <laughs> That's yeah, often when you I call, call you. me and I can hear this like thump, thump, thumping. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. And I was listening to Daniel Pink's new book called The Power of Regret. And the idea of regret can be a pointer towards what we want to do with our lives, right? When we look back on the past, more often than not, we're feeling regret. So there's a feeling of regret. And and then also when I close therapy with clients, the often what I do is I close with appreciations and hopes. And so there's also a feeling of appreciation for psychologists off the clock, appreciation for you, and then hope, hope for you as a podcast, you as individuals, hope for my own sort of next venture. So I guess it's appreciation, hope, and regret. Those are the three things that I'm feeling. I love that. Can you say more about regret, like in terms of what that's teaching you? I'm very curious about that. Like, what are you yeah. learning from that regret? Yeah, you know, I think regret, it's taught me a few things on the podcast, because actually what I found is that oftentimes when I would do interviews with folks, I'd have regret immediately after the interview. And mm-hmm. um, I could think of one interview that I had in particular with Steve Hayes, where I had a lot of regret after. And it was because I got too heady about things and I didn't actually show up as my full sort of self. And so that regret actually has shaped the direction that I want to go in is show up more as, as me. So there's regret around that, like regret that I didn't ask that question sometimes, or I didn't go there because it was uncomfortable. There's regret around Ray and want, wish that we had spent more time in saying goodbye to her and thanking her for the really important role that she played. And then I think also just some regret around that I think informs me now in my life and even in this move is regret around maybe some sometimes how I spent my time. So much time preparing, so much time reading, so much time making it perfect and editing that 
I could have been spending in other domains of my life that are really important to me too. So I think that's sort of the the regret part. And I love Daniel Pink's angle on it because he's he looks at regret as something that all humans have and that we need to be looking at more because it can really inform us really of our values, right? And then how we want to move uh, differently in our lives. Totally. Regret is such an indicator of like using the past to inform the future for your values. And speaking of the past, I was actually thinking that it might be fun to share a little bit about our journey together for newer listeners. But also, I don't know if we've ever really told the full story about getting the podcast started and what that was like in those early months, you know, the the months leading up to our first episode and those first few months, because we've talked about that in other conversations that we've had. I know we talked about it at our summit that we did last year, but I don't know if we've ever actually really talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. So let's tell talk a little bit about that and just what that experience was like, because I mean, it was a little bit of a like a wild thing to do. You know what I mean? I still can't yeah. believe we did it sometimes. <laughs> I, I can't believe we did it. And it all I mean, it it was so perfect that our first podcast was about playing big because I think it was really both of us playing big. I mean, it, well, it started with the conversation of us hanging out with our group of psychologist friends. We call them L5, <laughs> the five of us. <laughs> and you were doing a podcast already at the time, Debbie. You were working on new books in psychology. So you had this podcasting experience. And yes. we had... And as we were talking in this group of L5, we were a bunch of psychologists chatting about how we apply this research to our relationships and our parenting and our friendships and the places that we get sort of tripped up. And I think at some point we thought, well, gosh, wouldn't it be interesting if someone could be a fly on the wall and hear how psychologists navigate this material in their own lives? And that's where it kind of, I think, really got started was uh, in uh, New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico at a hot springs. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I remember thinking, it took me a while to piece those two and two together, because I remember thinking like, oh, this is so interesting to hear your, you know, what you all are reading and what you're thinking about and how you're doing this in your life. And meanwhile, I was thinking about going back and doing more. I had, I was kind of on a hiatus from the new books network interviews that I was doing. And I thought about going back to that. And I tried to bring you all along with me. And then it clicked, and we still sometimes cross post. We're we're good friends and cross posters with the New Books Network psychology channel. But it occurred to us that we could actually just start our own and be a little bit more freed up to just do whatever we wanted because they always focus on a book. And those we did a lot of episodes early on. I think that were just us chatting about stuff. We did more of those kinds of episodes early on, and it was. It was exciting, but we had a lot to learn. Do you remember? I mean, we were putting in so many hours in the beginning trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of it all. And these were the days, I think, the days five years ago, these were the times before podcasting really took off. And so we didn't have the infrastructure that's available. You can kind of chug and plug a podcast a lot more easily now. But back then, it was it was all sound waves and garage band that we were editing. I mean, we had to learn this whole new... Uh, software that none of us as therapists or psychologists had any clues around. And some of us had, you know, more comfort with technology than others. And that's also one of the other regrets I want to come back to <laughs> with regrets. Yes. Is I regret not giving more credit to my husband. 
who played such an important role in those early days of helping us get all of this stuff in um, in play. And he's a, he's a really humble guy and is pretty behind the scenes. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed is the closeness with him around the podcasting, all the behind the scenes stuff where he's really my like sidekick in all of this. And so I just want to give a shout out to him and a big thank you to him for um, helping us get started. And then now in my current podcast, he is my producer. And so it's just been really great for our relationship and really fun to work alongside someone you love like that. Yeah, and we've appreciated, I mean, he has spent many hours, especially in those early years, like putting in a lot of behind the scenes work. And I think that sometimes that behind the scenes work can be very consuming and people don't always necessarily know to produce a one hour podcast episode. I I mean, it takes a lot of hours to get that going between the recording and the prepping and the editing. And yeah, we spent a lot of time on that. It was exciting. Some of those early episodes are my favorites, even though I know that listeners will go back and listen to that or may go back and listen to them and hear the the really poor sound quality and the the edit (laughs) cuts that are painful. And I, I loved doing those episodes with you because first of all, I learned a lot in the research behind them. Like we did a couple episodes on embodiment that are some of my favorites and the food and mood episodes that we did that were super fun. I learned so much. I learned so much from those episodes and they were more back and forth. And I really think really truly to that spirit of what do psychologists talk about over coffee, which was our first uh, sort of tagline early on. Yeah, those were, I think they, over time, we started doing more and more interviews because in a way those episodes were great and we did have to gather information and that kind of thing, but they were so lively and fun and creative. And that's, Diana, I think one thing to really reflect on is just the creativity behind it. And I know for you, you're very creative. And I think that um, creativity has also been a huge piece of this and part of your value system behind doing all of this, right? I'm learning is like one of my biggest values. And I had, I didn't really know that until uh, doing a, you know, podcast like this and exiting some of the, the boxes that, you know, we're, we're designed to kind of be in as psychologists, right? Living on the edge a little bit more of those um, parameters. But what I've also learned about myself, and I actually just learned this recently, and you have been, unfortunately, Debbie, the recipient of this is that I have a very strong in creativity, but my planning and organizational skills <laughs> are not as strong. I just did this, uh, my new podcast, I just did this interview with this woman named Elizabeth Ricker, who is a neurohacker, and she had me do all these self-assessments on my executive functioning, and I scored really lowly in organization. And I think that that sort of sometimes showed up in the podcast, these sort of last minute changes that we would do writing a book together, my organization, you've experienced that. So yes, creativity is a value, but I I also have some areas to work on. It makes it hard to work on a team when you have a team member that's a little disorganized. (laughs) I feel like it's not my (laughs) strong suit either. So it's sometimes it seems like a minor miracle that we managed to get this thing off the ground. (laughs) Well, that's, and that's the appreciation for Jill. Jill and Yael, they're so organized, both of them. So they kind of brought that. I think especially Jill is just like, I don't know how she does it. She's so great at um, putting, you know, boundaries around things, hitting our targets and all that kind of stuff. So some appreciation to both of them for bringing that. 
So if you could think back about this five plus years that we've been through doing this, what would you say is the most rewarding thing about it to you? What do you find really, what has kept you doing this all these years? That's a good question. (laughs) I think it's changed. I think it's changed um, my why behind it. I think when we started, it was really about wanting to be friends and be in this professional realm with a friend and explore these ideas with these women. It had nothing to do at all early on about like even the possibility that I would talk to someone like Kelly Wilson or Daniel Goleman, these people that I'd read about in my psychology books. I had nothing to do with that. And then over time, I actually got to start to have conversations with people who had changed my career and had changed my life and be able to look at all these different perspectives and points of view and learn just so much learning that has gone on. I feel like I have a dissertation, a second dissertation in these past five years of how much learning, how many books that I've read, how many people that I've talked to, how many of your episodes, Debbie, that I've learned from thinking about your moral injury episode and how much I learned from that episode. So then it became about sort of this value of, of learning and growth and intellectual growth. And, um, and then I think more recently what, um, it's sort of kind of boiled into is like how to apply this to my clients in my life and my family, the things that I'm learning. And so it kind of, I guess, in some ways has come back full circle to what we talked about in Albuquerque many years ago that I'm really interested in. I, I really do think that there's sort of the reading of the book and the digesting of the information and being able to list the five things for this and the six things for that. But what keeps me going now is the application of it. Like just this morning, my my kid was, um, we were late for school and he wanted to go over some spelling words. And in that moment, I was able to pause and prioritize the sitting down with him and going over the spelling words over the being on time to school. And that's like a compilation of a lot of what, what we've learned in the past five years of intentional use of time or um, knowing your values or being in the present moment or um, letting, letting some discomfort show up in your life, like being late and opening and allowing for that because it's more important for me right now to just have my kid know that I care, that he cares about his spelling words, right? So that's what I'm interested in now is the application of it all. And I love it. It's super exciting. Yeah. That's so cool to think how it has shifted over time. I had a moment last week where I was talking to a client about learning as a value and kind of this idea of lifelong learning and growth and continuing to put effort into expanding your point of view. And it just reminded me of my own value around doing the podcast as a way of sharing information. I mean, we've spent all these years in school and in practice and doing clinical work and just what a gift it is to be able to take some of that and put it out into the world in a way that people can hear it who might not have had that, but who might be interested in it. And I had kind of lost, I mean, I think I knew, I know somewhere in myself that that is part of why I do this, but I think just 
that moment really pulled me back to that sense of how much I personally have learned doing the podcast and how good it feels to know that other people also find that useful. Yeah. And there's there's always this like dangerous edge for me in that because I can get so caught up on learning the next thing, right? So the next thing right now, I'm, like, I'm all into regret because I'm now I'm, <laughs> I could go right, off and tell you all the things the about regret, right? Uh, but but what I'm finding at sort of at this point in my career and my understanding of myself and is that a lot of this boils down into the same principles. And there's a lot of people saying all sorts of different things, but they often are pointing at, you know, sort of the, the fable of the elephant, right? That we're all kind of holding different parts of the elephant. And so what's exciting for me, and this is what also excites me about this concept of process-based therapy or the idea of these core processes is that whether I'm, you know, talking with a meditation teacher or talking with a, you know, a researcher, no, you know, sort of a neuroscientist, oftentimes they're talking about some of the same core processes that underlie our human flourishing. And that I don't always have to go on and learn the next thing. Yes, it's exciting to learn. I think that in some ways it's also kind of settling into what is the core essence of what we've learned. And, um, Sometimes it's about simplifying too, because I have that productivity anxiety. I have that tendency to read the next thing and always be on to the next thing without settling in and really letting some of what we already know be put into practice. Yeah, that, you know, we, you mentioned earlier that we, our very first episode was on playing big, right? Taking a leap. And sometimes we almost hold ourselves back. It, it's actually also an imposter syndrome thing, right? It's like, well, unless I know everything, unless I read every book that's out there, unless I know the latest and greatest, it's we, we might feel like we have to keep learning and learning in a way that is like unhelpful, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love to learn. I love to read. But it's like if I kind of think I can't take a step forward in my life until I've read everything and I have perfect knowledge, you know, you're going to never get anywhere. Or we get so depleted in our striving that all that learning we can't even use. (laughs) There's so much access right now. There's always a new book and there's always a new podcast and there's always a new, you know, masterclass and there's always a new platform to communicate with one another on. And I think that that's in some ways exhausting us, or at least it exhausts me when I feel like I'm always having to play catch up. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned a lot from you, Diana, about just your thoughts about striving and healthy striving and less helpful striving. I know that, you know, like a lot of things in life that are challenging and rewarding, that there's been a lot of just meaningful moments in the time that we've done the podcast together, some challenging moments for sure, too. And I would love to just highlight some of the most meaningful episodes that you've done and maybe have you share with some of our listeners what really stands out to you when you look back on so many episodes that you've done. Um, You know, what stands out in your mind? You know, it's interesting because often what stands out on my mind is the stuff before the episode and not necessarily the episode itself. When I take on an interview 
I start thinking about that interview while I'm reading the book, while I'm on a run, while I'm in my life, I start thinking about those concepts and how much it starts to kind of build up to the episode itself. And sometimes the episode can be not great, but it still has changed me, right? So um, one of the ones that stands out to me was the interview with Kelly Wilson. And you know, you know, Debbie, how I, how I, I have idolized him or he changed the the course of my career. I mean, when I was in graduate school and he came to that small group and he cried and I felt like for the first time I could talk about some of my own history and my own struggles and have that be part of my showing up as a psychologist. I didn't have to keep that all under wraps. And so when actually I had the interview with Kelly, there was so many things that went wrong in that interview and so many things that I didn't say. And it was like a, it was like a technical disaster. I was at my neighbor's house because I was having construction done at my house and she had a landline that was going off with the answering machine (laughs) in the back room. And it was just this, like, I had so much hope for it and it just, blah. Well, I remember how excited you were when Kelly, you invited Kelly and he said yes to coming on the podcast. That was like, you know, being able to interview someone that you've admired so much. And how disappointed I was after. Like, I felt like I blew it. Like, here was my chance and I blew it. And it wasn't my fault. But I, of course, I thought it was my fault. And the shame and embarrassment and all those things that happen when you feel like you've blown something. And so that, actually, that episode taught me about how I needed to respond to myself a little bit better, a little bit differently, a little bit more self-compassionately when things don't go the way that I wish they they went. Like, how do we respond to ourselves when we have our hopes for something and we're disappointed? And so that was like an inside job. So whatever happened with that episode, I'm sure if you listen to it, it's fine. Power of editing, try to get rid of the answering machine. It's great. But there are some great moments in that There were some nuggets. But for yes. me, it was an inside process that changed uh, that was that needed to happen in order to continue to pursue and, and do this work because every single time we put our voices out there, we're putting ourselves on the line. It's incredibly vulnerable, and it still is vulnerable for me. Every time I publish an episode, I still have that like, oh my gosh, what are people going to think? And um, so Kelly Wilson taught me a lot about that. It's the process of doing it that was important. It's yes, the process. Yes. Yeah. What else? What are some other meaningful episodes that come to mind? Well, you know, Debbie as well, and this is another one that a lot of stuff behind the scenes happened um, for me around was the Psychology of Radical Healing episode that we did in summer of 2020. And um, that was another one that taught me a whole lot. And also both in the episode and... um, before the episode. So it was with Helen Neville, Hector Adamas, uh, Brianna French, uh, and Grace Chen that came on the show. And I initially had reached out to Helen Neville. And this was the summer of 2020. What I had done uh, was gotten the APA standards for race and ethnicity, downloaded them, and read through all the names of who wrote those standards, and then went through that list and asked each and every one of them to be on the show. And so I got to have conversations with Sandra Matar. I got to have a conversation with Karen Suyamoto, who was the chair. And when I reached out to Helen Neville, she said, I want to bring on this group of people with me because we work collaboratively. And when I listen back to that episode now, 
I am cringing on so many different levels in terms of where I was at in my own racial identity at that point in time. There was a moment where I asked, I think I asked Hector Adamas, how do you bring race into the therapy room? (laughs) And he was like, it's already there, my friend. (laughs) And I'm like, what happens when you have, you know, conversations about race and they get heated? And he said something like, heated for who? It taught me so much about entering into discomfort, about not knowing, about humility, about learning and all the so much learning that I want to continue to do. And those conversations that summer were incredibly important for me to share and and to continue to have conversations like that. Yeah, and it's interesting about that piece around the collective coming together to do the episode, because I think sometimes the default is this individualistic approach to things. And it can actually feel daunting to interview. I think there were five, right? Five people who came on the interview with you. There were five in the collective, but four people came on the show. One couldn't Four people on the it. show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but how yeah. wonderful that they collaborate to such a degree that if one person comes on, they want to include everyone. And I think, yeah, I think even just that as an example is so inspiring. Yeah. And also for me, taking a look at here, we are a show of four white women. How comfortable does a black woman feel coming onto our show? Yeah, You know, yeah. I think that, that that's also something, you know, to think about and, and look at. So that was a pretty powerful episode um, as well. And then of course, you know, one of the ones that I am just so grateful to have had was a conversation with Rick Hansen a couple of years back, because he's really become one of my mentors and biggest supporters since then. And has been actually, he was one of the the people that really encouraged me to launch a new podcast and to take this leap. So I don't think I would have had that opportunity to have built a relationship with someone like Rick if I hadn't, you know, been able to talk to him in an interview on the show. Yeah, that is such a cool thing that has come out of this is the relationships between us, of course, the team, but also the people we've met. It's amazing how we have now made these connections with people. Some of them, it's like, you know, we do the interview and it's great and and we might not stay in touch necessarily, but sometimes we do form these relationships. Like I go to a conference now and I see all these people I've interviewed before and it's like, hey, you know, are we... Occasionally, I'll stay in touch or check in with each other once in a while. And it's been really wonderful. Yeah. And you and Rick Hansen have absolutely built a special, you know, relationship that goes beyond the podcast. You've collaborated and there's been mentorship and that kind of thing. And I would also say that probably my favorite ones are ones that we've done together or done with friends. So I really loved our Act Daily conversation, Debbie, that was Yael, you and me talking about our book and how that came into being. And it just felt really organic and conversational. And the two conversations that I've had with Alexis, Alexis Bacic, my good friend, she came on to talk about positive psychology and then came back, back on again to talk about her experience with infertility. And that was probably the most vulnerable and open that I've ever been on a show. And it was in part because of our my ability to have a friend on to talk about it. Um, and that's also a value that I'm pursuing more now is like how to be more vulnerable and um, in a way that is helpful for others. 
Yeah, sharing those stories was really, really powerful, I think, in such a personal way. And it is so wonderful when you have somebody that you just love and adore, like Alexis, come on, is so special. Are there any other meaningful moments that stand out, Diana? Yeah, I mean, I, I also just think about the, the three of you, your episodes and how they've changed me, you know, obviously, like I, we listen to yeah. each other's and we listen to each other's because we're going to do an intro. <laughs> we better have listened. But we also listen to each other's to learn from each other. And I think that one of the things that I think about is sort of this idea of um, our, our learning can come from like a book. But our learning can also come from our body. If we listen to our body, our learning can come from our peers and these types of relationships we're listening to and learning from each other and their experiences. And so I learned a lot from you and Meg, Meg McKelvey, when you talked about belonging. That was one of my very favorites, again, because it's two of my favorite people talking about belonging. And then I also um, have learned so much from uh Jill in terms of her just skill as being an interviewer. She is like solid and smart. And so that's been really fun to, you know, watch and see that energy come onto the show. And then Yael in all of her sweet intellectualism, like she's, she's so tender and sweet and lovely. And then also just so freaking smart um, and grounded in research. So it's just been fun to learn from the three of you and, I do think just like regret points to our values, envy, appreciation of another person's strengths points to our values, that what we admire are qualities that we want to cultivate in our own selves. Well, and I will give that right back to you, Diana. I've learned so much from you. And I will just share that to this day, you know, we did our food and mood episode all those years ago. I still have two kinds of oil in my house, olive oil, which I've always had, avocado oil, that's it. That's all I have. And I learned that from you. So that's just one little minor example. <laughs> Get rid of the seed oils, folks. Right. Every time I pull down my avocado oil, I think of you. But then there's also been the bigger learning that I've done from you. And I think you have brought so many creative ideas and interesting guests that I've never even heard of before onto the show that it really has enhanced my life. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Like these have had an impact on my actual life. And I'm so grateful. My morning routine, I don't always maintain it, but remember our morning routine episode? Mm -hmm. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> you really inspired me. So thank you, yeah. Diana, for yeah. that. Listeners might be curious about how you came to this decision. And I know it was a hard one for you. We've talked offline many times about, you know, that it took you a while to make this decision and it's not without its mixed feelings. Could you talk a little bit about what's behind your decision to, to go off a different direction and, you know, what the process was like? Yeah. You know, I think it's been percolating for almost a year now and, and it's, um, and I, and I've allowed it to percolate and, and play with it. Um, but what it really boils down to is a couple of things. One is just when I was talking about there's different types of thinking and then we can think with our bodies. Um, one is just tuning into what my gut has been saying around where I want to, where I want to go, you know, what do I want to do? And another has been about tuning into my values and how can I be most helpful to people? So during this past year, 
I started teaching on Tuesday evenings with Mindful Heart programs. And I would just do this little weekly talk and I do a little yoga and I do a little meditation. And during that time on those Tuesday evenings, which I'd have like 10 people attend, like it was a small group, I would feel so much vitality in that teaching. And what I realized is that I want to be in a place of offering more direct teachings to people, bringing in ideas from my life, from clinical psychology, from spiritual practice, really integrating some of these ideas and perspectives and offering them up to people as sort of practices that they can apply in their daily life, just like we do in our book with Act Daily. So it came from that of just this um, readiness to go explore that frontier of whatever that is, of being able to teach directly to people and have the room for creativity and play and the room to also work closely with my husband. When I turned 40, I went to Peru with my mom. And she grew, so she was born in Dominican Republic. She grew up in Peru and I'd never been to Peru. And it was her 70th birthday and my 40th. She took me to Peru and we landed in Cusco. And then we went down to the Sacred Valley to a retreat center there called Wilcatica. And at Wilcatica, they have a shaman that comes down. He comes down from like 14,000 feet to do these, um, Coca leaf reading. So coca leaves are the leaves that they turn into cocaine. This isn't like coffee or chocolates. And they're very sacred in Peru because they have a lot of medicinal properties um, in terms of being able to live at high altitude. And one of the things that he did with me was he did a coca leaf reading. So he took me into this room and he spread out all these coca leaves and he threw them down and then read how they landed. And when he read them, he said that all of these leaves, like the leaves around your family are really strong. The leaves around your career, solid. The leaves around um, your friendships, okay, pretty good. But there was one leaf that was really far off. And he said, this is the one that you need to pay attention to, this leaf. Okay. So like the shaman in Peru, <laughs> I was like listening. <laughs> okay. What does he say? Like, What's the leaf? <laughs> yes. What is the leaf? And the leaf was my marriage my husband. And since then, there's some health issues that have shown up in, in um, his life. And there's been career stuff that's shown up. And I've really come to see that I want to be in partnership with him and, and live closer to him and have him be involved in if I'm doing a side hustle, he needs to be at my side. And so that was another component of this, like my values around creativity, my values around having my husband be part of my side hustle and our time that we spend, you know, that I'm not spending at work. And then also, how can I be of best service to people? So it's many values coming together at once. And I think what Katie Bowman has taught me is this idea of like stack your life. Like, how could you live out many values in one practice, in one offering? And that's what this move is for me. Yeah. So having him as your producer in your new podcast, it, it is just the closeness and the time together is built into it. So you've talked about the values you're moving toward and the values behind your decision. What do you feel sad about leaving behind as you leave psychologists off the clock? Diana, what do you think you'll miss? Oh, there's a ton. I mean, I already miss it because I, you know, it's already happening for me of just... Yeah, you've kind of been taking steps yeah. back. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and just, and as I'm producing podcasts now without the team, I miss the team. I miss the conversations before, the texting right after, the conversations after, the um, support that we provide each other, the um, encouragement when things go sideways, the compassion for each other. That's the number one thing that I that I think I'll miss um, is the the friendship and the team. And I also think that there's ways that I can pursue that value in a different context. And that in some ways, especially going back to like, you know, my relationship with you, Debbie, or my relationship with Yael, it will also be nice to have relationships that aren't, you know, so centered around the podcast that are centered around like you talking about your, you know, your girls basketball team that I'm interested in, you know, that that the podcast doesn't always have to be the, the dominant factor in our relationship. That's right. Yeah. When you're collaborating and sometimes you're so focused on work <laughs> that kind of takes over the relationship sometimes. Absolutely. Well, you're good at not doing that. I mean, I think you always tend to the relationship, but I, I have a, <laughs> I have a compartmentalized mind. Like if you, if I am working, I am working. If I'm friending, I'm friending, you know? So, um, I think it'll be helpful to be in, in the friend domain without work always creeping in. I just imagine part of what would be sad for me about leaving is like working so hard to build something and putting so many hours into it and to kind of like walk away from it feels, I mean, is that coming up for you too, Diana? I think when you build something, you almost want to stay just because you've invested so much in it. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. And there's that graspy feeling of like, wow, we grew it so big. We have this many downloads. We have all, you know, that sort of graspy feeling, um, attachment. And that's come up for me. And I think in particular during this like early stages of transition zone of like launching my own podcast was, oh no, what if this is a complete flop? And I've also learned about for myself that that graspiness, that attachment brings me a lot of suffering. When I'm in that place, I act in ways that don't line up with my values. And letting go is is like a, is a practice. And I've, I've done this. This isn't my first rodeo of letting go of things. You know, like I, I've shared about how when I was in grad school, I took time off. I was willing to let go of my PhD in order to pursue my recovery and go to a um, yoga ashram. I was a clinical director of a treatment center and I let go of that in order to pursue private practice because I wanted to be around more for my son. So when I frame it as like there's loss and yes, there's a, there's that sort of like grabbiness of, oh no, I built this something and it's mine. It activates a part of me that I don't want to continue to activate. And it's a practice. It's a process of, okay, noticing that show up. It's because I care about something and can I let go of it and also know that, you know, the seeds that are planted in psychologists off the clock, it's not like we're like mowing this thing down. They're going to continue to grow and flourish and they're going to move in other directions. And moving back to that, how I end my therapy session with clients around appreciations, hopes, and regrets is that it's important to, to, to be with the regrets. It's important to share the appreciations as we've done. But it's also important to allow hope to come in that hope is not something that has a really strict container around it. It can be like, I just hope for all that we're doing, all the effort 
to be of benefit to people. Um, so if I turn into that mindset or more that compassionate mind, it tends to feel a little bit better. Yeah, it's like both acknowledging the loss, but also that letting go, you know, it reminds me of those, the Buddhist practice of making art in sand and spending hours making this beautiful sand art and then blowing it away. Because when you've put so much time and effort into creating something special, and you're right, it's not really blown away because <laughs> your episodes are still out there in cyberspace. They're not totally blown away, but it's like, you kind of have to let go of attachment sometimes in order to work, to move towards something else or something that's not really serving you anymore the way it once was. And I know that one of the things that you're moving toward, Diana, is your exciting new podcast and some other professional ventures. And like you said, the seeds of your new podcast were honed over these years together. So that's something you'll be carrying with you. But I thought it might be nice for you to tell people a little bit more about what you're doing moving forward, what you have on the road ahead for you and the new podcast that you're doing, because it's pretty different from what we've been doing here. Yeah, the, the new seeds are sort of about how to apply these principles of psychology, spirituality, integrative health practices to their lives. And at the same time, making sure that I'm doing that too <laughs> in my life. So, um, <laughs> good point. Yes. What that what that looks like is everything from I'm on Insight Timer. So, Insight Timer is a meditation um, uh, platform where I'm offering meditations for folks. To YouTube, where I'm showing you know videos of of different things. To this podcast, Your Life in Process and. The reason why I named it Your Life in Process is sort of twofold. One of just seeing that our lives are un twisty and turny and unfolding over time. And, and part of that is offering some solo episodes where I talk about um, sort of my life in process and how to help you live your life um, without it being so outcome oriented. But then the other part of it is that it's about processes that are um, shown through research and through thousands of years of contemplative practice to be very beneficial to living a well-lived life. And so I'm exploring those processes through conversations with thought leaders, with scientists, with spiritual teachers. I get a chance to talk to Steve Hayes again. <laughs> and I'm going to like use my regrets to help guide that conversation. Um, so it's, it's really back and forth and um, a lot less edited, I guess, than mm -hmm. um, trying to edit myself less. Oh, good. So I can spend more time with my family because editing takes a long time. And we live in a world that is over edited. I have clients who have a, you know, that are in their 20s and they're worried about wrinkles on their foreheads because everyone's got a filter on. So um, maybe we stop filtering ourselves so much so that we can uh, just see how people really are with lots of ums and buts and circular. Uh, <laughs> Languaging. Yay, good for you. Because, well, we've talked on the podcast before, Diana, about how you occasionally have a bit of a perfectionist streak. And I feel like that's a that's wonderful to see you feeling that way. Like, oh, you know, you can leave those ands and butts in and it's great. It's yeah. a little more just raw, you know? And it helps not to have thousands and thousands of followers to be able to do that. So that's the other gift to me is to kind of go back to how it was in that first year. And, and mm -hmm. that when there isn't so much pressure, my favorite yoga teacher, Eddie Eller at Yoga Soup says, 
just enter into the full expression of your pose. And so when I can just enter into the full expression of my pose, I can make space for other people to enter into the full expression of their pose, even though mine is going to be always crooked because I have a crooked back. It's always going to be a crooked pose, but that's Mm -hmm. okay. Well, it'll be lovable because those very unique and unfiltered parts of ourselves are usually, you know, the real stuff. And that's what makes us ourselves and makes us genuine. So we've talked a lot about goodbyes today. And I think that, you know, again, as therapists, goodbyes are really important. And I think sometimes the tendency with goodbyes is to avoid them or shortchange them or just skip right on through them because they can be sad and hard and uncomfortable. Diana, can you say something about that, about meaningful goodbyes in your life and in your clinical practice? What does goodbye mean to you? Our last chapter of the book, Debbie, we talk about the labyrinth. And um, when I say goodbye to a client, I will give them like a physical labyrinth, which is a, a symbol of twists and turns and twists and turns and twists and turns that end up towards the center. And it's different than a maze, which you actually have to try and exit a maze to get out. And so when I think of goodbyes, I think of it as just another twist and turn. And sometimes our, go- our goodbyes, they're not dead ends. They're just a twist. And we find ourselves back around them again. I had a, a friend from high school who I haven't talked to in, I don't even want to date myself. How long has it been, Debbie? Thir- like almost 30 years since we've been in high school. <laughs> No comment. Not quite. 20, 25 years. <laughs> yes. No, actually, that's true. I was just thinking about that the other day. And I was like, that can't yeah. possibly be right. Yeah, but it 25 is. 25 years or whatever, since yeah. I've spoken to this woman, reach out to me to say hello. And that was a potential goodbye. You know, I graduated, we moved on, blah, 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 blah. And here she is again. And I have such fond memories of her. We were kindred spirits. And so... I think of goodbyes as just a twist and a turn. And we do need to acknowledge them and recognize them. Um, Even if we're saying goodbye to someone that is dying, we're saying goodbye to their body. But let me tell you, anyone that I have loved that has died is still with me. I think about them. I think about my grandpa all the time and even more than I did when, when he died. Like how his he had mental illness and he taught me a lot. He was suicidal most of his life. And so he influenced my career and, and my interest in bipolar disorder. So I guess what I want to say is not to pave over the goodbye and emotionally avoid it, but then also not say that it's a dead end, but rather it's just a twist and turn. And so we'll find ourselves back in contact with each other in different ways. Even with these listeners, I, I think that we'll be on a different twist and turn in different ways. Well, of course, I mean, I know that we will continue to be oh, yeah. in contact and our our shows will continue to be you know we were talking about how I'm we're still friends of the new books network and and we will be friends of each other's podcasts forevermore and personal friends and our listeners will always have your voice on this podcast and everything that they've learned from you to take forward so Debbie we're gonna do it we're gonna do appreciations, hopes, and regrets to close out this podcast, you and me. Okay. Okay. And how I do this with the client is that when I share these with you, I want you to take it in as a mindfulness practice. So you don't have to nod or say, "Uh uh-huh, or I get it, but you can just take it in. Okay. 
Okay. So, and then you can return the appreciation, hopes, and regrets. And I like to sandwich the regrets between appreciations and hopes. So here goes. Taking in a deep breath. Debbie, I appreciate you for always prioritizing our friendship and our relationship and your humor and your optimistic approach to life. I appreciate you for letting me be messy and loving me in all the mess. And I regret that I didn't take the opportunity to step through that friendship when you've offered it to me a number of occasions. And I want to do more of that. And my hope for you is that you stay grounded and you trust yourself and you continue to put out your words, whether that's in writing or through a podcast, but that you play big when you want to and when it fits for you. Oh, thank you, Diana. Okay, so my appreciation is for all of the heart and soul and creativity that I have been able to experience with you on this journey and for all of the meaningful moments that we've had together over these years. My regret is that sometimes we did get bogged down by the mundane and difficult aspects of it to the point where the big picture got lost in for moments and periods of time. And my hope is that you have so much meaning in your life after psychologists off the clock that you have whatever it is that you're hoping for personally and professionally in the road ahead. Thank you. Well, I think I speak for all of the co-hosts and the entire team and all of our listeners when I just express to Diana my thanks and appreciation for you and just my, you know, excitement to see what comes next for you down the road. Thank you so much for everything, Diana. We will miss you. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, our dissemination coordinator, Katie Rothfelder, and our editorial coordinator, Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our website, offtheclockpsych.com.